0: One of the passions of Bethel Church is promoting God-honoring, Christ-exalting Christian marriages and families. And here we are now this weekend, Valentine's Weekend. If you did not know, it is on Monday. And so we're calling it Valentine's Weekend. Weekend. And we just feel like this is a cultural opportunity for us to address a very biblical, theological, and God concerning passion. Uh, God is passionate for marriages. And God is passionate for biblical love and biblical marital intimacy and the cultivating of a relationship between a husband and a wife that is uh, honoring to Christ. And so we just, uh, we see that in the Bible. You say, oh, it's not in the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible that is dedicated to uh, biblical Well, it's dedicated to marital love and intimacy. And I just, you know, if God gives a whole book of the Bible to it, then it has to be important to him, don't you think? And of course, it is all all, many other places in uh, the Bible. And so this is our focus for the weekend. Okay. This is what we're what we're doing, and our, our our format is going to be a little bit different. Normally, we have kind of a long section of praise and worship, and then we move into a kind of a long, sort of like standalone message uh, from the Bible, and that's I mean that's our bread and butter here. If you come here for any amount of time, that's what we almost always do. We're not doing that, not doing that this weekend. Uh, rather than than uh, our normal format, what we're going to do is. We're going to have scattered throughout the service various uh, people that we'll be sharing. We have a few videos we're going to play. But the, 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 the people that are going to be sharing are some of our pastors and their wives sharing about Uh, cultivating love at the season of marriage that they're in. And so we have a kind of younger sort of couple, and then we have a sort of middler kind of couple, and then we have a mature couple (laughs) that is going to be sharing. And each of them are going to talk about... You know, love and challenges at that stage of their marriage. And so we're hoping uh, here tonight uh, that you would uh, be able to see yourself somewhere in that spectrum and to uh, maybe relate to some of the things they share and get some uh, encouragement regarding love in your season of marriage if you should be married. And I have a comment here in a moment to the singles. That are here, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Here's my here's my uh, par- my part in the whole thing, is to sketch a biblical theology of love and marriage, briefly, okay, briefly, and so that's what I'm going to do uh, with you. Now I don't know how many of you knew it, but uh, this last Friday night we had uh, our auditorium is one of the one of the venues at the Northwest Indiana Symphony. Uh, Uses and they had a big uh, shindig here on Friday night, and on Thursday, I was um, I I came in. I ran to Strax to get some lunch, and I came back here and I came in the side door, and I heard this beautiful music that was coming out of the auditorium, and I thought, well, I got to go see what that is, and so I came walking in here, and right here on the stage. Uh, there was this huge grand piano, not this one, this one they had taken out, and they brought in this humongous black grand piano. And sitting at the grand piano was this woman, and she was playing. Now, there's playing the piano, and then there's like what this woman was doing. I mean, she was just going at it on this piano very beautifully. And so I had my lunch, and, and I thought, well, I am the senior pastor, so I can probably give myself an exception to eat in the auditorium and listen to this woman play. And I come to find out that they, she was the featured artist and that she had flown in from New York uh, just for this concert, and she was, you know, whoop de doo kind of really good player. So, So anyway, I just sat here, I sat right over here, and I just listened and ate my lunch as she played the most beautiful music. Well, Somewhat ironically, while she was doing that, the symphony was also setting up, and they had hired these workers uh, to come in, and they set up staging that went out probably into the third row right here. This whole thing was staging because they had the whole symphony here, and so they're setting up staging, and they're setting up chairs, and, and uh, so you you got these, you know, just kind of workers throwing stuff around and yelling across the auditorium and all the rest, and I just thought to myself, what? The the irony of this moment, because here you have probably a national level artist who is playing a beautiful instrument, and she is playing some amazingly beautiful music. But these fellows who were setting up the chairs and yelling and clunking around and all the rest, they were almost oblivious to the glory and the beauty of what was right there in their midst. Now, the reason I tell you that story is that it seems to me this is a picture of the state of marriage in our contemporary culture. The Bible makes it very clear that marriage has an inherent glory and beauty to it. And yet in the culture that we live in, there's just all these people clunking around and and living in the day-to-day and missing, not seeing and hearing the glory and the beauty of marriage as God intended it to be. I'd like to explore that with you a little bit here tonight. Here's what Hebrews 13 verse 4 says. Let marriage... Be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Now this verse teaches that marriage, by God's decree, is high and holy. It is high and holy. Now its highness is seen here in its honor. Let marriage be honored By all. So there God is saying this has an inherently a, a rightness and an honor to it. It's holiness is seen in let the marriage bed be undefiled. And so it is high. It is holy. And all of God's people who are truly God's people need to view marriage the same way that God views it. And this is how God views marriage. It is sacred. We hear the same kind of reverent language in Ephesians 5, which says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now my segment in this service doesn't allow a full treatment of this passage, but I do want to make a few comments here. Notice what this passage is saying. He's saying that marriage is a kind of pantomime or a kind of parable of a deeper, more glorious truth. And the deeper, more glorious truth is the relationship between Christ and the church. Which marriage from the beginning was designed to act out and to live out in that marital relationship. And so in this, this is the way God set it up, that husbands have a a part that they play and wives have a part that they play. Now in the pantomime, The husbands are playing the part of Jesus. And wives are playing the part of the church. And by God's design, husbands are to relate to their wives with the same kind of attitudes and actions that Christ shows to the church. So a husband who's going to play that part really well you know, much like Denzel Washington or somebody else who's playing, you know, their, their, or Sandra Bullock in the, the Blind Side. You know, she got to know the person that she would be portraying, didn't she? Spent time with her and, and figured out her spirit and attitude and all that. And then she played that part. Husbands, you take your cues from Christ. So you need to know kind of what was he all about and how does he relate to the church? Because that's how I'm supposed to relate to my wife. Wives are called to relate, they're they're the church in the pantomime, they're called to relate to their husbands in the same way that the church ought to relate to its savior. And so, similarly, wives, you need to think about that. I'm called to have the kind of attitudes and spirit that the church ought to have towards its savior. So therefore, every marriage, every couple that is here tonight, you are by God's divine decree, a living parable. You are living out in a a human relating way, a deeper, more glorious truth, which the text here says is a mystery and there is a mystery to it, but that is the glory of it. And so marriage, therefore, is not what the contemporary culture would want to say, which is just some convenience or some nice sociological idea. It is more glorious than that. And the church and the Christians in the church and the marriages in the church cannot be like the workers at the the setup who miss the glory of what is right there in the midst of them. And the church, and this church, needs to regularly hold that out to the congregation and to say to the couples and the singles, marriage is sacred, honor it. Hold it high. It is a glorious thing. And I think this is where our series in 1 Corinthians uh, provides a help to us because we spent so much time talking about Love, because maybe you're a husband here going, I don't even know how I could begin to do that, and the wife could be going, Well, there's just I respect, forget about it. You know, how can we even begin to get there? And this is where First Corinthians 13 and the whole matter of love is so important. Agape love, which we defined a thousand times as self-giving for the good and joy of another. Couples, where do you go to try to know how to relate to your spouse? You go to agape. You go to love, that self-giving, selflessness that lives for the joy and finds its joy in the joy of the spouse. That'd be a good place to start, right there. So husbands are to agape their wives, which, of course, selfish sinners don't naturally want to do. It doesn't come natural to a husband to be self-giving for the good and joy of his wife. And wives, you too are ought to love your husbands. And that doesn't come naturally to sinful women, which of course all women are, just like men. By the way, before you get all like, he is so sexist tonight, I ain't saying that. And this is where the gritty, determined faith of genuine Christianity comes to bear. And it has to be brought to bear on a daily basis because marriage is a daily reality, isn't it? You're not just, you're not just getting together on the weekends for, for a date or something. You live with one another. And so it calls for a daily dying to self. But when there is a couple... That is committed to living out that redemptive parable with a husband who is like, I'm Jesus in this, and I'm a bad reflection, but I'm going to try today. And a wife going, I'm the church, and you know what? The church is going to be a holy and beautiful and radiant bride someday, and I'm not quite there yet. I admit that. But as the couple says, this is not about us. Your marriage is not about you. It is about the gospel, and specifically, it is about God. Amen. Married couples, get that, please. It is Your marriage is about God and the living out of that truth in the way that you relate to one another, in the way that you are permanent with one another. And you bring that to bear on a daily basis. And so we see then the beauty of this, that Christian marriage has a matrix to it, It has the matrix of God's plan, which is Christ in the church, and God's love, which is Christ in the cross. And they come together in the most intimate human relationship, marriage, agape, and the cross. And this is a holy and glorious pursuit. And couples orienting... Listen, there's no way that you can orient your marriage towards the gospel until your life personally is oriented towards the gospel this is not a question of first and foremost you getting your marriage oriented around god it starts with a husband who humbles himself before god and says i want to live out i want to please you and a wife who does the same the gospel then applied to your own life now lived out in your marriage towards one another but it has to begin It has to begin with you. You can't be waiting for your spouse to come around to that. It begins with you. It begins with the cross. And so we just want to be a church that uh, doesn't just simply say, hey, good luck. Hope it works out well for you. But to constantly remind you that your marriage is worth every effort. Your spouse is a image bearer of God called by God into a relationship with you to live out the gospel together every day until you die. That is marriage. That is Christian marriage as God intended it. And we just want to exhort you to give it your very best because it is worth it. It is sacred. Now, finally, a word to the singles that are here. Um, I want to just say, how to be single and honor God on Valentine's Day. You might say, well, how are you qualified to talk about that? Oh, let me tell you. (laughs) How to honor God on Valentine's Day. And as an adult single, I will tell you, this is not an easy thing to do. Because we single adults... Uh, you know, we, we, we see you married couples and you're kissy-kissy all day long. And we think to ourselves, boy, that would be kind of nice. I could, I could enjoy that all day long. Let us live in the fantasy. Uh, so just a word on this. Here's, here's what I'd say to singles. I find that when I am focused on myself... Everything in my life that maybe isn't exactly the way that I wish it was is really, really annoying to me. I begin with that comment, including Valentine's Day. However, we need to look at Valentine's Day as singles through the word of God. This is what I always do right here like this. So if we look at Valentine's Day, what do we see with Valentine's Day? It's this, that if God celebrates marital love, than godly people, married or single, will too. This is a God thing, and he celebrates marital love. And I would just say to the singles here, in eternity, nobody's married. Okay? Nobody is married. But the love of Christ for the church will be celebrated forever. And so, you can look at Valentine's Day as a kind of warm-up for the eternal happiness in Jesus party that we're all going to be a part of and depending on how you look at it there's either no valentine's day in heaven or every day in heaven is valentine's day as the savior pours out his love to us all right i need to stop right there i've gone over longer than i should have but uh, there's a biblical theology of love and marriage and i'm going to invite dustin and lindsay rouse who are going to come up and share right now our young couple about cultivating love in this season of marriage you know what it's not easy to do it really isn't easy to do so why don't you welcome them show them some love here okay all right
1: well two thoughts were going through my head as i was listening to that that was really good and why do i have to follow it because i usually have a guitar in front of me when i'm talking to you uh, but we're going to do our best here and be uh, skipping some of the things I wrote down just for time's sake because we have two other pastors who are coming after me and we all have the tendency to go along. Uh, I'm going to let Lindsay open up and just tell a little bit about our story and give some context to some of the things that I'm going to say just a little bit later. Plus, she says it and tells it way better than I do anyway, so we'll let her tell the story tonight.
2: Well, it all started um, back when we were in college. The first time I saw Dustin was at a citywide college worship gathering in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, he was actually sitting in the row behind me, and I happened to notice that he was singing really well during the worship time. And I thought, wow, a guy that's really singing well, that's, that's like a good, um, I guess, plus on the dating criteria. So... Plus, he was really good-looking, so that was just all going good.
1: I'll pay you later. No.
2: <laughs> However, I didn't recognize him, so that was kind of the end of that. It was, um, I didn't really know who he was or where he went to school, but later found out that he actually did attend um, Stanford University, which is where I also attended. And we actually met later that semester through mutual friends, Um, And little did I know that we would soon become really good friends and we would begin dating. And after several, I guess, over two years, we dated um, and became engaged and we got married in July of 2005. So this summer we will celebrate six years of marriage. Um, Dustin and I both came from pastors, kids, families. So our wedding day was extra special as both of our dads were able to share in the joy of officiating our ceremony. And that was really special to us as well. Um, And they actually went to seminary together in Fort Worth, Texas. So it's been really neat to see how the Lord had planned all of that and ordained all those circumstances in our lives. But a, um, a week after our wedding, we packed up and we moved to Louisville, Kentucky, where um, Dustin was going to attend the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary to pursue a Master's of Arts in Worship. We knew, we didn't know anyone in Louisville and it was scary, but we knew that that was what we needed to do in order for Dustin to pursue his calling to full time ministry. So we packed up and left all our family and friends behind. There were lots of good times and there were hard times. Um, About a month after we moved to Louisville, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, so it was one of those things that the Lord, you look back and you realize that you see what the Lord was using that for. But he used it in our lives to really strengthen our marriage. Since I did live so far from family now, he, Dustin was all I had. So it forced me to cling to him and to trust him and his leadership. So that was a, a good experience for us in building the foundation for our marriage. We learned the value of marriage and the joy of having one another as a life partner. So here we are today serving the Lord together here at Bethel. The Lord has truly been good to us. We are blessed with a son, Hudson, who's two, and we are expecting a baby girl in May. And we love this journey that the Lord has us on and are truly looking forward to the rest of our lives together.
1: And it's within that context that Pastor Steve has asked us to talk about cultivating agape love in our marriage, that covenantal, um, countercultural kind of love, and this is what we're going to attempt to do. Um, I have a lot more written here than I'm going to actually say tonight, but I'm going to hit on the highlights and hope it will bless and encourage you tonight. The first thing I want to say is to praise God publicly Forgive me the wife that he did. Um, truly, when I look at Proverbs 31, when I look at First Corinthians 13, I see lots of characteristics and attributes um, that are listed in those passages. I see them in my wife, and she is one of the biggest blessings that God has ever, in fact, the biggest blessing besides my salvation that God has ever given to me. She is kind, patient. She has a servant's heart. She is humble. Uh, She is beautiful inside and out, and um, she's my best friend. Simply put, we get to do life together, and that is such a joy for both of us. Um, The biggest aspect of our marriage that I'm grateful to God for is the fact that that our marriage is a... Uh, A conduit of grace for my own personal sanctification in my life. God uses my wife to help sanctify me and point me back to him. If you would have met me in college, you would have never thought that one day I would become a pastor. But I met my wife, we dated, and the Lord brought me back to himself through her. And it's been a great journey ever since. Uh, And I I was going to talk about two types of uh, agape love that Pastor Steve talked about uh, back in August through December of last year. But I'm just going to talk about one tonight, the one that has really been convicting to me as of late. And that's the fact that love is kind. Love is kind. This is an area, if I'm being honest, I fail as a husband way too much. You see, agape love kindness is countercultural. It's gospel-reflecting. This sort of kindness is generous and sacrificial. It echoes our definition of agape love, which is self-giving for the good and joy of another. The problem is that I'm naturally a selfish person. And I will too often take in our marriage instead of give. Lindsay, she excels at kindness. It comes naturally to her. She'll do things around the house. She will get me gifts. She will serve me all without wanting any attention or any recognition. I have to work at it. When I do things, I'll vacuum a room. I'll change Hudson's diaper or some other task around the house that I help her with. And uh, it's, it's to show <laughs> I do do those things. And apparently I need to do them more. <laughs> the truth is that's not naturally how I'm wired. I don't see that every day in the day-to-day task, how to help her. And, but when I do, I do these things and I want recognition. I want thanks. I want praise. I want, hey, Dustin, thanks for helping me out with that. That's not love. That is not agape love. That is not kindness. Kindness is sacrificial. It's self-giving. It's for her joy. It's for her goods because I love her, not because I want praise. The truth of the matter is that agape love, kindness, um, it exhibits kindness in the continual dating of our wives. Yes, I've already started learning It's in my first five and a half years of marriage that we must be intentional about romancing and dating our wives. The ring going on the finger does not mean that we can stop being romantic. This is something I truly am still learning. In fact, it means that we need to step up our game. My my wife loves flowers, and I know that if I bring her flowers home for no apparent reason, there's no Valentine's Day, it's not her anniversary, that is an act of kindness that I can show to my wife. It's agape love towards her. It's not because she earned them. It's not because there's some sort of reward. It's just because I love my wife, and I want to agape love her. I want to show that kindness where there's nothing expected in return. A final side note, and I'll conclude with these two things. One of the best ways for me to love Lindsay is to fill the role that that Pastor Steve was talking about, that God has laid out for us as husbands in the Bible. Ephesians 5 talks about that role, that we are to be a servant leader to our wives. We are to be the head of the relationship as Christ is the head of the church. The truth is that I cannot lead in what I myself am not applying. In these, our early years of marriage, I'm finding that spiritual leadership is essential. Man, we need to be in the word. We need to be on our knees. We need to be in gospel community. And we need to be seeking after God. That is the best way to effectively lead our wives. A recent revelation for me has been that I lead my wife better when she sees me excited about Christ and his gospel than trying to force into her head through conversations and commands. Do this. This is what you need to do. And if I model it, she will follow. Agape love is inspiring and wives will follow husbands who are following Jesus. Even as I was preparing this testimony and how we were striving to cultivate agape love in our marriage, I see am convicted by and am repentant of the ways that I fail as a husband. So I want to end with this. I am grateful that Jesus died for me. He is the real hero of our story and of any story. And I would have no hope of truly and rightly loving my wife if it wasn't for him. We must apply the gospel to our marriage. I must see my wife and love for the way that Christ loved the church, selflessly, sacrificially, and not expecting anything in return. Lindsay must love me within that same paradigm through support, submission, and unity. If If our marriages in this room are not centered on Christ, they will not be cherished. They will not last. Look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith, and may our marriages bear testimony to His grace. It's all about Him, anyways. Thanks for letting us share.
3: Hello. I get.
4: We both had a lot more hair back then, didn't we?
3: Is that why you were laughing? We are Chris and Eva Carr. And I guess we're the middlers, as Steve called us. And I just need to start out by saying, we are not ooey-gooey like the Rouse's. As a matter of fact, there is, we're a perfect example of God's sovereignty because I am so not lovey-dovey, and God put me with Chris. So that works out perfectly. <laughs> and we're also definitely out of the honeymoon phase. We're more like in the boot camp marriage means That's what it feels like. All right, let's go team up, stick together. Um, this is supposed to be transparent and truthful, correct? To be helpful. We've been married 15 years. The story of how we met has been told and retold. Children's of Children are telling this story, so we won't go into that. Much jokes have been uh, told about how we met, so we'll stick with the basics. We've been married 50, almost 15 years in July. We have four children. Landry is 12, Bryce is 10, Peyton is almost 9, and Ty is 7. Um, we are finding that this stage of marriage um, is quite different than the early years with its own unique <laughs> Uh, joys, but also unique struggles as well.
4: In fact, this is actually interesting timing because um, 2010 was by far for us the most difficult uh, year of our marriage and for a number of reasons. Um, We uh, actually bought and sold uh, two homes, and there was a lot of struggle with that. Had a lot of medical and health issues. Um, We had issues. Our in-laws moved into us. No comment from the son-in-law in in regards to that. Um, And uh, had just a lot of different things going on. We Had a lot of things that we struggled to get on the same page, like where we were going to send our kids to school. And to be honest with you, our dog even got ran over uh, by a car and killed last year and uh yeah so it was just like kind a perfect storm it would, like it'd be a country western song that you could have sang about our life uh from last year uh but through it all you know god is faithful uh, and he is grace gracious and merciful and we have seen him show us many uh, important truths that we have needed to learn and grow in in our sanctification in the last year
3: one of the things that I've learned over the past, specifically the past year through those intense struggles is that one of the ways I can learn to love Chris more in a, with agape love, not just uh, romantic love, because sometimes that's feels forced. So the agape love is deeper. And one of the ways I've learned to do that is, um, by not putting him on a pedestal. I know that might sound odd, but let me explain it. It's for, you know, self-sacrificing for the good and joy of another. I've been listening. It is for Chris's good and his ultimate joy that I not expect him to fulfill every need I have. Um, and that's what I mean by putting him on a pedestal. I'm, I'm really setting him up for failure. If I expect him to, um, fill the role that only God was meant to fill. And so that's one of the ways that I'm learning to truly love him more is by not lifting him up quite so high.
4: At the same time, I'm learning that one of the chief uh, enemies of agape love is pride. Because you know what? I actually like being on the pedestal and, and I don't <laughs> mind being up there. And there are often times where I actually think that uh, I am all that she needs. The downside to that is, is that... Um, That turns into pride with her struggles and uh, the things that she is weak in. I can easily look down and judge her, which uh, I tend to do so vocally or at least in the way that I express myself. And therefore, it leads to a lot of strain uh, in our marriage. And so this year, um, God's really been, uh, you know convicting me with this passage from Philippians 2, I won't read all of it, Um, you're familiar with it, but verse 3 says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves, and our example here is Jesus Christ, and as Steve was talking about, and Dustin referred to, uh, if I am Christ in the marriage, then how I treat her needs to be the way that Christ has treated me, with true humility, despite her weaknesses and her faults, which I also have.
3: Another thing that I've learned that once you, um, get into these middle years of marriage and, and you start thinking, Hey, this is not going to be so easy. <laughs> this is going to take a lot of work and it's going to struggle and it's going to kind of hurt sometimes. And those growing pains aren't easy, but I know the thing that I've realized is that as you start to realize that, and then therefore you, if you start to really try to strengthen your marriage and go to the word of God and try to apply those truths well that's the perfect time that Satan is going to begin to attack he was happy when I didn't try to fix and live fix my heart Satan was good the way our marriage was going and so um, be vigilant because if you're seeking the Lord Satan will attack and there's a spiritual warfare going on one of the coolest things I've learned this year um, through a Bible study that we had is that in the midst of that warfare I can be one of Chris's weapons against the enemy. And I never thought about it that way. Um, Whether, you know, it could be marriage scheduling conflicts. It can be ministry demands, career demands. It can be temptation, fighting off temptation, um, which is everywhere. Um, You all know Chris likes to hunt, so the analogy is awesome. But I can be an arrow in Chris's bow as he fights off Satan. And he wants to take down her marriage, and I'm, eh, I'm not gonna let him. So that's pretty cool. It really is cool, even though I don't like hunting. But um, <laughs> so even when I don't feel like it, and here's the point: when I don't feel like it, this truth right here that we're fighting a, a battle against um, this enemy of Satan, it gives me resolve. Even when I don't feel like being a biblical wife and living out Christ in our relationship, it strengthens my resolve to be the wife Chris needs in order for him to be the man that God's called him to be.
4: I love when you use hunting analogies. (laughs) All right. Um, This
3: love language right there.
4: Yeah. Uh, finally on a serious note, I, um, I'm really learning how to apply the gospel to our marriage, uh, which we all need. And in one real specific area I want to share with you, and that is in the area of reconciliation. And the key verse here is Romans 5, 8, which says this, But God shows his love towards us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, even though we were the ones that sinned against God, it was God who actually decided that he would come to us. When we hated him and we reviled him and we wanted nothing to do with him, he came to us. He loved us. He sent his son to die for us, to offer us reconciliation. And so likewise, as I am the one who represents Christ in my marriage, it's my responsibility to initiate reconciliation, whether or not I'm the one who did the wrong. Even if Eva is the one who has sinned, it's my responsibility as the Christ one, the Christ representative in the marriage, to go to her to initiate reconciliation. I just want to encourage you men, uh, being a leader in your marriage means leading in everything. And that includes in making things right when they're wrong, whether or not it was your fault. I want to end with this. Proverbs 18, 22 says that, that he says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I know we don't always feel like that, but it is true. This woman is God's second greatest gift to me, as Dustin has talked about, other than my salvation. She is a great gift to me. She is a wonderful gift. She is a blessing. And my calling as a husband is to learn and understand how I am called to love her as Christ has loved me and to love the one who has given the gifts to me. Because in the end, you realize that marriage isn't about Eva, and it's not about Chris. It's all about him.
5: We are Gary and Carrie Methuselah Butler. <laughs> you could guess what particular time span we're covering in marriage.
6: We met on a college campus, and it was not love at first sight.
5: But it didn't take long for us to discover that there was chemistry between us, and we really wanted to pursue a relationship.
6: We've now been married 40 years. We have four married children and ten grandchildren. (laughs) One of the special things about this time in life is that life is so much less intense. And it's really wonderful. As a family of six, we had six different schedules to coordinate every single day. And now we just have two. I don't think we call it the high heat or the heat of high noon anymore. We're more in the sunset. And I love it.
5: Life has fewer demands for us now. I can remember for most of my life, I prepared four sermon preps every week. And while I had four sermon preps, she had four children. Carrie usually, uh, during those years, was not able to watch much football with me. She was either folding laundry, grocery shopping, or packing lunches. But now she'll sit down and watch an entire Viking football game with me. We enjoy uninterrupted sleep. No one's waking us up in the middle of the night. No children calling, Daddy, I'm thirsty. Or was it Mommy? I'm not sure. Most time Mommy. (laughs) (laughs) No teens coming in late. And now, if we just fall asleep.
6: (laughs) We know each other better now. Gary has spent a lifetime trying to understand me. I guess I am kind of a complex person, and though there are still a few corners that he needs to discover, we know each other so much better. Years ago, we would fight about his driving. He had two speeds, fast and faster. (laughs) So I would give my perspective from the passenger's side. What he took as a personal attack was really my fear. Fear of speeding tickets. How would we pay for them? We didn't have a budget that had traffic fines in it. What about his pastoral image? What would the deacons think? Or worst of all, what if he lost his license? Once he was just one ticket away.
5: (laughs) I don't think they're all that interested.
6: But now he hears my heart.
5: We are able now to integrate 40 years of life into the present. I don't know if you realize how meaningful that is, but one of the most painful things about divorce is that everything before and after has to be put back together, and it's difficult. We're thankful that we're able to integrate a flow of life, and uh, we have lived a lot of life together, and we're very thankful for all that we have in the Lord tonight.
6: It's been a joy to watch our children become independent families.
5: It is both rewarding and it is challenging to find that delicate balance between impacting our children and their families and interfering.
6: Our motto has become encourage, serve, and pray. We're determined to be a godly influence while bringing tons of fun and creating lots of happy memories for both our children and our grandchildren. Gary says, there's no limits, honey, what you wouldn't do for those kids. He's not far behind.
5: (laughs) I once read that uh, we are the living link for our grandchildren to the past. So I have been telling them endless stories of my childhood and especially Lincoln Elementary School.
6: And they love it.
5: In addition to the joys of this season of married life, there are some unique challenges. One of them for us is preparing for a landing. Uh, I will not always be employed at Bethel. We understand that. I hope it's not any time soon, and I hope I know it before you know it. <laughs> I realize that you can't wheel me in, although it is interesting that my office is nearest to the handicapped entrance. <laughs> Go ahead.
6: Another challenge for our marriage is stewarding our free time wisely. Um, recently I was reading a book by Jay Adams. Believe it or not, the title was wrinkled, but not ruined. (laughs) He refers to a verse in Psalm 90 that said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And then he talks about drifting. He says, drift is simply allowing things to happen instead of taking control of one's time and interest. Gary and I don't want to drift. We want to direct our lives. We want to be intentional. We want to be compassionate and caring, and we want to continue to be servants to each other and to our family and to God's kingdom. The mature years, they're great.
5: And you have no idea what an incredible moment that is. I don't think in 40 years that Carrie's ever done that. But thank you, honey, for doing that for us tonight. <clears throat> I came across a very interesting statistic about the U.S. divorce rate. I've printed it out for you, and you can kind of see where we have come over the years. Though the challenge of sustaining a meaningful marriage, I think, has always been uh, a challenge, uh, surely it has never been more difficult than in this culture. You might think it to be as easy as sing- singing the national anthem at a football game, but some can even find that challenging. <laughs> I want to share with you this morning some of the absolute essential ingredients. ...to a a successful marriage. And these are not new. They have already been referenced in this service, but I'm going to say them again. It begins with a loving husband. Four times in the central passage of the New Testament on the subject of marriage, Paul emphasizes the concept of a husband loving his wife. Love, 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 love. It's the centerpiece. It's the beginning ingredient... And the husband must establish a continuous flow of love to his wife. Uh, I suppose in some respects my work at Bethel is one of the most complicated in, in the fact that I'm dealing with acute marital situations. In one sense, it is easy. It is to take the complexity of what's going on and bring it to a Husband loving his wife and a wife respecting her husband. So if you're a husband, this morning you may wonder, how do I love my wife? And I would answer that question with the messages that Steve has been sharing with us from 1 Corinthians 13. And it's the 14 points of patient, kind, not envious, not arrogant, and on and on. All you have to do is remember all 14 of those things all the time. And I just want to emphasize with you a couple of them. First of all, love is patient, or or the old King James says, long-suffering. The first lesson that every husband must learn in marriage is that his wife is mortal and fragile and even flawed. He imag- we imagine that when we get married, that we married sweet Cinderella and we discover as time moves along that she has a temper. She can be downright selfish at times. He imagined that love would be enjoying all of the desirable qualities of a fairy tale princess. He comes to learn that it is accepting and ministering and nurturing to one who is weak and who is flawed. When I married Carrie 40 years ago, she said to me, I'm going to be so perfect that you'll have to love me. I said to her, honey, I already love you. There's nothing to, to be accomplished right now. But I, I, do, I wasn't able to understand what was wrong with that concept. But as I've moved along, I've realized that love is not extracting and consuming the nice virtues of your mate. It's nurturing and ministering and accepting the weak parts. It also, uh, Steve has taught us from 1 Corinthians that love must be kind or literally uh, make oneself useful. Last week, Carrie said to me, do you know what I would like for Valentine's Day? I said, no, what would you like? She said, I would like a new battery for the remote control of the garage door opener. She really did. (laughs) What was happening was that my sweet princess was having to get out of the car in cold northwest Indiana, park the car, take her keys out of the ignition, take off her boots, walk through the house, open the garage door, put on her boots, walk back to the cold concrete drive, start the car and drive it into the garage. So I was pretty proud of myself. I said... I'll get you a battery for Valentine's Day. And I I just kind of forgot about it. (laughs) I don't know what's funny about that, but I I did. It just kind of was out of my mind. And, um, And then I thought, buying a battery on Valentine's Day is not what I should do. I should take my remote and give it to Carrie and take her remote that doesn't work. And then I'll work out the details on the batteries later on. So that's what we did. But she keeps giving me the remote control back. So it's going back and forth, and that's how it gets when you get to this stage of marriage, I guess. The other dynamic has to be in a marriage is wives' respect. At the end of Paul's Ephesians 5 passage... It almost seems like his pointer finger is wagging and says, let the wife see that she respect her husband. If there's one thing I'm extremely grateful for in all the years that we have been married is that Carrie has shown incredible respect to me. She has learned, I think, that she gets better things out of me by respecting me than telling me all of the things that are still wrong about me. And by the way, I tell a lot of couples that very thing. I say to wives, you know, you you see some areas where you want your husband to improve, start telling him about the good things that he is doing in your life. And he will be moved by that. He he will be caused to correct the things that are not right. Several uh, months ago, Carrie went to Columbus, Ohio, to visit uh, some of the grandkids, and uh, she sent me an email. This is how she, this is how she respects me. And uh, the, the email said, I've seen many lawns from Crown Point to Columbus, but none of them are as lush or green as yours. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're, who cares about that? But you need to understand that in the spring of the year, to me, it's a competition. You know what I mean? And I'm set out, I'm armed with the right fertilizers and I do all the things to try to make that the greenest, thickest, lushiest, or if there is such a word, lawn in the neighborhood. So when she writes me these over-the-top emails about how well I'm doing, I am just moved to do more. I want you to listen carefully to what Proverbs 14 says, The wise woman builds her house, but he who has her own hands, the foolish one, tears down. You gals have an incredible capacity to help your husbands become better men by showing respect for what you can in the marriage. I want to conclude with this. We just had a Art of Marriage seminar this afternoon and last night. In it, it mentioned having a legacy to pass on to the next generation. I was so moved by that concept. I've been to many of these seminars. I've heard a lot of this teaching, but this was powerful, what they did. And my mind went to a moment when my oldest son and I were in a boat. It was about... Ten years ago, he was a student in college, and I was observing how many marriages were coming apart when the college student was away to school. And I said to Bart, kind of flippantly, I said, you know, I just want to say a lot of these kids are really taking it hard, heart and they're just really crumbling and kind of coming apart. I said, you know, some are doing fine, but some of the kids are really taking it to heart. And we're out in the boat, and we're just kind of doing a little bit of this. And Bart, he didn't even blink. He said to me, Dad, I want you to know that I'm one of those boys. If anything ever happened to you and Mom, I'd never be the same. I cannot tell you how that moves me. I cannot tell you how that drives me. I cannot tell you how strongly I feel. I really want Gary and Carrie to continue to experience love, to continue to walk with God, and to continue to provide something that our kids can build upon. Recently, I don't know who it was, but somebody got me into Facebook. By the way, it wasn't me. <laughs> it's for the record. But there have been several people that we're all of a sudden connecting with that we haven't seen in years and years. Some of these people, I, I thought as I thought about leaving a legacy and recognizing that not only my children, but there are other people, couples, and families that would be devastated if our marriage came apart. Do you realize that's true of you? Do you realize it matters how you approach your marriage? We want you to know we care about your marriages. And consider it a privilege to even talk to you about it tonight. Thank you. God bless.
0: Thank you, Gary. That was powerful. And Carrie and the cars and the Rouses who shared as well. Uh, That was great. Really, really great. Okay, we want to conclude with a special time of uh, prayer for um, our marriages in our church, and uh, we're going to ask if you are um, married and here with your spouse if you would stand. And we'd just like to give you a moment uh, together, if you would. Now, um, why don't you, why don't you, uh, kind of take each other by the hand, the arm, whatever it is. I know it's church, but come on now. Let's. Uh, <laughs> Let's 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 do that. And um, I'm going to ask that everybody else here just join in an affirming prayer with me as I lead a prayer for the marriages in our church. And I'm asking for you to um, be have that amen in your heart, because we need these relationships to be really strong, and for the Lord to bless them. We need these relationships to live out the gospel. And uh, so we want to pray for you, couples. We're for you. This is a church that is for you, and we're not sugarcoating anything. It's hard, and we want to just be with you in that uh, cauldron of uh, Christianity, uh, of, of your marriage. So, Let's have a special time of prayer uh, for our marriages. Would you join with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we conclude our service tonight, and we have standing here in uh, our auditorium uh, marriages, husband and wife. And as we have uh, heard tonight, Lord, we've just been reminded that in uh, in a fallen world, That you have left uh, fragments and and vestiges of the glory that has been lost. And one of those is marriage. And we want to be a church that holds it high, that that honors marriage and honors husbands and honors wives and encourages them. And tonight we pray over these uh, marriages, Lord, we pray that you would encourage them. Some, no doubt, here are maybe experiencing some good days and some, some uh, springtime. Others, no doubt, facing some real challenges, maybe circumstantial outside the marriage, perhaps interpersonal. Father, we pray that you would please uh, stir their hearts towards, uh, towards you and towards one another. We pray that you would please help them. And Father, we ask that our church would be a a kind of Christian community that nourishes and fertilizes biblical love. Help us to fight against a culture all around us that mocks it, uh, that wants us to define love in silly and superficial ways. Lord, we want to take our definition from our blessed Savior who gave his life for us. So may that kind of love increasingly be on display in the marriages of our church. And we pray this, Lord, that you might be glorified as you design these marriages to reflect you. And so make the the mirror clean and may the reflection be crisp. And we pray that you would be pleased. So thank you for this weekend and the opportunity to focus on this very important matter. And so we pray for those services as well. We give you glory and thanks in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
1: Amen.